Heavenly Father, even in a short list of all that's going on, and we, we give you praise, we add to that the, the sort of mundane of the day. The waking up, the paying of the bills, the driving of the car, the grocery shopping, the responding to emails and texts, the work. So we pray that as, as you send us out into the world, whether you send us out to do something big and great and, and beyond our imagination or whether you just send us out to represent in the everyday. Help us to understand how in our going and in our doing, how, can, how we can experience encouragement, motivation, joy. How in the face of life can we know that peace which surpasses all our understanding? We ask it in your son's name. Amen. All right, so the past couple of weeks, we have been with Jesus, all right, as hopefully we are every week uh, when we bring you the word. Uh, but the two uh, incidents that we found ourselves in with him were opportunities that he took to call to task the Pharisees for their lack of love towards God and towards their neighbors. He called out their hypocrisy. And at the same time, as he left their presence, great crowds surrounded him, and he challenged those crowds uh, that professed their belief in him. He challenged them to follow him, but to be prepared that to follow him means you also have to pay a cost. If there's going to be a life of commitment, he wants us to be very well aware of what that commitment means. Because essentially what he is saying to those of us who call him both Lord and God or Savior is that we are his ambassadors. That as we go out into the world, right, into the everyday work, neighborhood, where you shop, where you play, whatever uh, takes up your time during the week, you are representing Christ to the world, even in a Christian setting. And today, we're going to look at a life in the day of the disciples. But let me tell you beforehand, we get started, this is no ordinary day, all right? This is for them and will be for us a day like no other. What do I mean by that? Let's put up the text. This is from Luke chapter 10, all right, verses 17 through 20. I have the uh, NIV translation for you this morning. And just to preface this verse, as you can see from that first line of verse 17, the, 70, the 72 returned with joy. Okay, return. Return from where? Well, the 72 had been sent out by Christ. He had given them a task. He had commissioned them to do something in his name, and now they were coming back to report on what had happened. And here's what had happened. 
Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Whoa. And so Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. That's why the demons have submitted to you. Nothing will harm you. However, despite all that you've seen and heard, despite all that you've done in your accomplishments, do not rejoice that the demons submit to you. But instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, so that's going to be the guiding text for us today and our application for us as followers of Jesus. And this is one of those readings uh, which, if you allow it to, can become a distraction. And what do I I mean by that? Uh, A rabbit trail, uh, a a diversion. It's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but the idea about reading Scripture, particularly a piece of Scripture, is that you want to read it in the context in which it is presented. Scripture interprets Scripture, all right? There's nothing more dangerous than taking a verse out of context and trying to interpret it out of its context. So, and what I mean by that is this particular section of Scripture, um, you can become distracted by the comment of the disciples that even the demons submit to us, right? You can become distracted by, by Jesus says, I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions, right? In fact, the, this verse appears on the liturgical calendar uh, under St. Michael and all angels. It's a day of remembrance in the church when we recognize the role of angels um, in God's plan, whether in the heavens or here among us. But what I want to do for us today uh, is stick to the meaning of the text and context, which is the disciples, and they're representing the Lord, their ambassadorship on His behalf. And if I could dial that down even further for us, to, uh, for the sake of time, uh, the joy that they experience, the joy that they experience serving God, all right? Not the joy that comes from, uh, from uh, the accomplishments, but the joy of serving God. So the whole idea about Satan and the angels, that spices up the text a bit, but it can also distract you from the, from the meaning uh, of, the text, of the text itself. So, all right. Is it possible to experience joy as we serve the Lord? All right. That's one of the questions that we might ask from the reading of the text. Is it possible to experience joy as we serve the Lord? And I don't mean necessarily in a professional capacity, though the text does apply to church workers, right? It's for anybody. Man, woman, child, follower of Christ, baptized, saved by his shed blood and resurrection. So what I want to do then, verses 17 through 19, Mike, if you could put those back up. All right, 17 through 19, I call the joy of service. The 72 returned with what? Joy. So think about their emotions, their attitudes as they returned, right? And we can understand why they're joyful, right? He'd given them power and authority to heal, to cast out demons, to share the word. And guess what? It actually worked. (laughs) Don't you love it when you have like a household task? that you need to do and you go to Home Depot and you buy the parts and you get home and you do it and it actually works. 
This works. Immediately. They saw the fruit of their ministry to others right away. There is perhaps no greater joy in the life of a follower of Jesus than to see an immediate return on one's investment in the kingdom. Um, seeing people come to faith or, or respond to a message uh, in a way in which their, their behavior changes. Or, uh, you know, you open up the Word of God and you begin to read in the morning and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit impresses upon you that this verse and section of Scripture is for you that day. In fact, the Apostle Paul knew the joy and service in the kingdom could be elusive to church workers and to believers and disciples, lay people, however we want to define ourselves, when he wrote this to the Galatian Christians. This is Galatians chapter 5. We as the people of God can become exhausted, discouraged in our labors in the kingdom. And those are labors that are occurring when you're at home and you're, and you're, and you're loving your family and ministering to your neighbors and, and when you're at work and you're, and you're loving and ministering to your coworkers and when you're at school and you're, you're loving and ministering to your, your classmates. So let me stop there and ask you, though, in terms of your personal service to the kingdom, think about this. Do you find at times or, or maybe completely that joy is elusive to you as you serve? Do you struggle to, to continue to pray daily? Do you struggle to, to read the Word, to stay motivated on a, a regular basis? Do you struggle to serve in a task which, let's be honest, is a thankless task, which, and no one has, has recognized you for that? And I'm not talking about just in a congregation, right? It can be other things. See, the thing is, you're not alone, if you've ever experienced discouragement, if you've ever experienced um, uncertainty, if you've ever experienced just fatigue as a follower of Jesus, trying to do the things Jesus has called you, wherever that is, <laughs> you've got friends. <laughs> Scripture tells us the harvest is plentiful, but the what? The workers are few. And that means the few workers that we are, we have to bear larger burdens, and it can feel overwhelming at times, the struggle to stay inspired, the, the struggle to stay encouraged, the struggle to stay jo filled with joy, serving in a broken world. <laughs> Imagine what they felt, right? But here's something important in the text. All right, the key to their contentment, the key to their joy wasn't necessarily the immediacy of the return as much as we know how important that is, right? You invest $100 today and tomorrow morning you wake up and it's 1000 Wow, that's a fantastic return on your investment, isn't it? Or you change your eating habits one night and the next morning you wake up and you've lost 15 pounds, right? That's a fantastic return on your investment. We'd be incredibly motivated to save. We'd be incredibly motivated to take better care of ourselves if it was that easy. But it's not. And even as workers in God's kingdom, we labor long into the day with the hopes that tomorrow something new will spring forth. But here's the key to their contentment. Here's the key to their joy. Here's the key to their motivation, right? It's simply this. It was done in God's name. Yeah, stop and think about that. It was done in God's name because this is critical. It was not done in their name. It was not done uh, in the name of a company logo. It was not done in the name of a nonprofit. 
um, that they had started. It was not done with the latest gadget or gadget. It was not posted on social media. It was done in the name of Jesus, their Lord and Savior. It was done in his strength and in his purpose. No other motivation, no other foundation will ever come close to the way, come close to the way in which serving in the name of the Lord for the purposes of the Lord will bring to you and me joy, the joy of the Lord. So let me put it this way for myself. When I find joy is elusive, in my service, right? And don't forget, I'm getting paid to do this, right? So I should be happiest of all people, right? <laughs> when I find joy is elusive in my service, it's a signal, signal to me that I'm trying to do something in my own name, under my own strength, in my own wisdom, in my own purposes. And the text reminds me that I will always come up short in the joy in the purpose, in the strength, when I attempt to do things in any other name but Jesus's. Does that make sense? So let me ask you this. Where is joy elusive to you? Where is joy elusive to you? Is it at work? Is it in parenting or grandparenting? Is it at home? Is it um, uh, in school or at your, your child's school? Is it in loving your neighbor? Is it in driving in Dallas traffic? Right? I mean, do you feel like you're serving somewhere in a thankless capacity that you struggle to continue to serve in? Is, is giving to the Lord's work difficult for you to find joy in helping that? What makes you sigh, roll your eyes, procrastinate, right? You see, we so often try to do things in our own power or in even our own name, forgetting that we don't have the unlimited um, source of power, the unlimited wisdom, uh, the unlimited energy or insight or foresight to, to pr produce the results we want or even experience that constant encouragement we need to keep going. So if we're honest with ourselves and we want to be faithful to Christ, there's no better way than to begin to do what we do in the name of the Lord, because if we don't, we're really just doing it in our name and our power, and that will exhaust itself pretty quickly. So let me give you another verse. Let's read this together. This is Colossians chapter 317. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do. Whatever means whatever, right? I don't know what your life looks like once we walk out this door, right? You're captive to me for an hour, but I know you got stuff going on in life. But whatever it is, in the name of the Lord, as Paul reminds us. And I guess, you know, it's not original with Paul. I mean, Paul probably picked up on uh, reading Luke's gospel with this, and he certainly experienced it in his own life. You know, when you consider his ministry, uh, his multiple mission trips, uh, his church planting efforts, I mean, he, he had to have something other than himself to keep him going, right? And that was Jesus. All right. So, joy, the joy of service in the name of Jesus. Now, second to that, though, which builds upon that, and it's the last aspect of the return of the disciples, okay, is what we're calling the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. And that's verse 20. 
We're going to put up a, a different, slightly different version of the scenario with you, but let me go ahead and read this again. Luke chapter 10, 18, 18 through 20. Jesus said upon their return, I saw Satan fall, a bolt of lightning out of the sky. See what I've given you? A safe passage as you walk on snakes and scorpions and protection from every assault of the enemy. No one could put a hand on you. All the same, the great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and presence with you. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the agenda of rejoicing. What God does for you and for me. I mean, even the original text says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. But what God does for you, our names are written in heaven. Salvation, the joy of salvation. Out of all the underlying factors that day for you and me, it's knowing that we've been saved by the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's knowing that we, we have the, the forgiveness of sins and the reality of God's love in our life. It's not seeing our prayers answered. Uh, it's not experiencing kingdom growth. Um, it's not watching miracles take place. It is first and foremost knowing the love and power of God in Christ that brings joy to you and me and knowing it in the sense that we are saved by grace through faith. Psalm 51, 12, and Luke and Isaiah 12, Restore to me the what? The joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, Isaiah 12. We as the people of God, right? can carry the message of God with the Spirit of God and the joy of God. And you know, I think for the most part, despite our sinful nature, whenever we attempt to, to do something as followers of, of, of Christ, our intentions are good. I think we want to do something. But good intentions aren't enough to keep us going, right? I think they soon run out, especially as frustrations build. So in a world where we experience brokenness and sin, whether it's our own or, or someone else's spills over into our lives, trying to do good can wear on us. It seems easier to give up. It seems easier to walk away. It seems easier uh, to, to think that the problem before us is like the demons. It's too much for us. But that's only when we approach it in our name and our strength. So when you're feeling tired or, or underappreciated or discouraged, what if you went back to those things that God is doing in your life and has done for you? What if you literally just took out a piece of paper, like a three-by-five note card, or, or maybe wrote it uh, on uh, your notes app on your phone? You started to list those ways in which you've seen God at work lately, in which you've experienced His grace, felt His presence, seen lives transformed. And you reminded yourself, you used Siri or Alexa, right? You said, take me to that list or tell me that list every morning so I don't forget. Because an exercise like that, I think, is a reminder to you and to me that we're not alone. I mean, yeah, we can look around and see folks gathered for worship, but I mean, in the sense that we're not alone, that Christ is with us. That His Spirit fills us and that we're not left to rely on our limited resources and that we've been given all that we need. Uh, more than just 
salvation, I mean, which is the ultimate, but I'm but our experience with Christ is meant to be more than just somewhere out there after we die. It's something that we can have today. His grace and his presence as he calls us to come and follow. So think about tomorrow morning's Monday, right? I don't know what your schedule looks like. I know the students got to get up and go to school. Boo, right? <laughs> Teachers, you got to go too, right? <laughs> But how about you promise yourself before your feet ever hit the floor that you'll remind yourself of God's love for you, for your loved ones. You know, Luther came up with what he called his morning prayer. And those of you who've grown up in the Lutheran church, you probably memorized that in uh, confirmation, right? He wasn't far off from the need that a prayer like that fulfills because he understood well <laughs> that that's the best way to start the day, recognizing who you belong to, who is your advocate, and who will be working on your, by your behalf as the hours go by. Because in the name of Jesus, it's more powerful than the uncertainties and anxieties of life. It's more powerful than the negativity of the world, right? More powerful than its shallowness. It's Jesus. It's the only place and the best place to begin. So whether we're called to battle demons or the injustices of the world or just face the mundane of the everyday, I would put before you that the key to motivation, the key to encouragement, the key to joy, the key to us seeing fruit in our ministry together as the people of God is Jesus, <laughs> simply Jesus. In his name, amen.